There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for uh, yet another week, another tremendous guest. We've got Mark C. Crowley. We're going to talk about Lead from the Heart. Uh, you'll have heard me having conversation and, uh, and talking, I think, in a heartfelt way over the years. And this is just such a, an important subject and conversation to have. And it feels like a subject we need to be talking about right now in the world. Uh, we need to get more heartfelt. Uh, and not be uh, led all the time by our heads. Um, so we'll have that conversation with Mark shortly. Uh, before I introduce you to Mark, I'd like to say uh, thank you to Dov Barron for introducing us. Um, last week, we had unfortunately had a, a guest postpone an, an interview. So I replayed a show with Dov Barron. Uh, Dov uh, introduced me to Mark and we it was a great conversation with Dov. Um, people have sent me quite a few uh, communications uh, around that particular show um they really did re resonate with the emotional source code and um, particularly with uh, what's at the core of the united states in terms of freedom the, the british uh, in terms of superiority and of course the eastern bloc when it comes to control um interesting to think about that and think about that dynamic and how it uh, Im impacts us and our lives uh, the week before we had paul meehan and um, paul um was um was, is a great guy he set up um, an amazing insurance company uh, which he sold and he's an advisor to lots and lots of insurance companies i've met him on my journey and i think the one thing that sticks out from that interview is uh, he talked about you know how to how to succeed uh, was no bullshit um there's so often people people um do um they 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 do um bullshit use uh, language and words that confuse and maybe aren't straight down the line and uh, that really um, resonates with me, particularly today. I mentioned to Mark, my my own son, I don't think you listen to this, and I don't think I'm being too disingenuous in sharing it, but he, he called me up, he's got a part-time job, he's only young, and he said to me, Dad, I'm going to ring in sick today because uh, it's hot and it's lovely and I'm with my friends. And I said, don't do it. You've got to show up. You know, life is about showing up. Uh, and uh, he went and did it, and he got fired. So uh, he learned a big lesson uh, from that today. Bless him. Uh, I, do, I do love him. You've got to learn that lesson. He's only 17, um, but he, uh, he's now looking for a new part-time job, unless he does what I've suggested and go in and apologise profusely and promise never to do it again. But we'll, uh, we'll see. But I think it's an important lesson for us, to be honest, uh, and operate with integrity. Uh, and uh, there's a point in time in our lives when we may learn that lesson. Uh, but when we do, you know, always show up, I think, is, is really important. And always be honest. Uh, and then you'll build trust with people. So someone today who has uh, built a lot of trust through his work is Mark Crowley, and uh, he's got an amazing book called Lead from the Heart. And, you know, humans have involved uh, in what they need and want in exchange for work. And and today employees are seeking purpose and meaning and, and feelings of significance in their work. What drives their engagement is feeling really valued, respected, developed and cared for. They're also prepared today. This is one thing we have to realize is people are prepared to leave organizations and find organizations for 
for those who truly care about them and support their well-being. You may have heard me on the show before talking about an example where uh, you know uh, three or four young uh, young graduates um, spoke to me after coming off a stage at an event, and they said, "Chris, do you know of uh, any companies that we could apply for who would make us better people?" Uh, and that was quite an interesting question. It really had me deeply thinking and thinking, "Crikey." You know, young people today are wanting different things and and realizing that when I first um, uh, got a job, the thing that excited me was a new company car, uh, having a company car. And uh, I hadn't really thought about a company that um, provided me support in terms of my own well-being and really cared about me. And But we're in a different place right now. Um, my guest, Mark C. Crowley, is a visionary in workplace management, engagement and culture. And his book, Lead from the Heart, Transformational uh, leadership for the 21st century proves that heart is actually the driver of optimal human performance. He's a regular col columnist for Fast Company magazine, published in the US today, Reuters, Forbes, the Stanford Social Innovation Review, Huffington Post, Gallup, Financial Times, CEO magazine. I could keep going and keep going. Uh, the second edition of his book um, debuted in August 2022 and is an Amazon number one release. And his Lead from the Heart podcast ranks in the top one and a half percent of all podcasts in the world with an incredible audience in 163 countries. So uh, with much ado, a great welcome to Mark C. Crowley. Well, thank you so very much, Chris. What a delight. You're very welcome. Lovely to lovely to connect with you. And I really enjoyed our, our conversation a couple of weeks ago and uh, realized uh, Me too. a fellow, fellow traveler uh, who... Uh, it really does speak from the heart and uh, i think we did actually we had a good conversation me too and, and you're you're based in san diego in uh la jolla is that correct la jolla Hoya. okay la jolla okay. <laughs> i'd like a, 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 a mexican uh spanish yeah term. it's you know it's i'm i don't even know how how they came up with the name for it it, it literally means the jewel so um, it's a beautiful place. I, I guess that's why they called it that. But La Jolla is a very unusual name. Yeah, it, it sounds. I got a sense. Is it a sea, sea um, town? Seaside sea town? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, what's life like in in San Diego? What's your What's your You know, um, the, the, it's interesting because I grew up in New York. And I had, uh, we, we might get into this at some point, but what I will tell you is, is that I have had five older brothers and sisters somewhere between 10 and 18 years older than me. And so they were like of a different generation, but they were my older brothers and sisters. And so what happened was my, my father was older when by the time I was born and my mom died when I was very young. And when he retired from his, he had a very, very big job. But when he retired, he retired. And he decided, I'm moving to California. All I want to do is play golf. So he took me from New York away from my family and moved me after my mom had died to California. And it was massively disruptive. And on top of that, maybe we'll get into this. Um, he also kicked me out of the house right afterwards. So like three years later, he emancipated me, if you will, and said, you're on your own for the rest of your life and never went back to see him until he died 15 years later, no Sunday dinners, no come home for Christmas or birthdays. And, and so I was on my own, you know, stranger in a strange land. Like this is where I meant was meant to be, 
But my brothers and sisters were now having families and going to college and they couldn't take me on. So I basically just had to figure it out for myself. And when I graduated from college, which was no easy feat for me because I'm trying to figure out how to survive first. But what was happening was I graduated, but I looked around and I saw people that were thriving. Like they had great self-esteem. And my father was a psychologically and a, and, and a really, truly emotionally abusive person to me. So he sort of crippled my self-esteem and my belief in myself. So even though I'm graduating from a very prestigious college, one of the top public schools in America, I still was thinking that it was by luck, you know, that it happened or, you know, by the grace of God that somehow they said, you know, let the guy through, you know, but it wasn't based on me. And, and I just started thinking about like, what was the difference between people? And I realized that they had thoughtful direction and they were being cared for and supported and encouraged and really loved and had safety, all the things that I didn't have. And that really was the cornerstone for the work that I went on to do for the rest of my life relating to Leading from the Heart, which is a title that didn't occur to me until decades later. But at my college graduation, I looked around, I was listening to the speaker, you know, the commencement speech, and I just, I don't know why, I just had this instinct, I want to live here the rest of my life. And I think I was looking for stability. And so the university, I went to the University of California in San Diego, I can see it from my house, that's how close it is. And I made the decision decades ago when I graduated from college that I want to live here for the rest of my life, and I made it happen. Good for you. Good for you. So, you, you, so you had a you had an unusual start, didn't you? Uh, uh, <laughs> a, yeah, <laughs> a tough one, and moved away from family, and 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 it, so so basically, what you're saying is that you you looked at what you didn't have, and you realised how important that was because it was missing. Correct. Yep. And and to take it a step forward. So I, it didn't just make a decision that I needed stability in my life from a, where I'm going to live and reside. You know, I, I would move you away from your brothers and sisters after your mom died was like a one-two punch. And then the third punch was getting kicked out of the house and not having any financial support, no one to lean on. And and so it was it was, you know, it was a very destabilizing upbringing to say the least. But what happened was for reasons that I still can't explain, Chris, when I graduated from college and I, I, I went on a management training program and I got promoted pretty quickly and now I'm managing a team of people, I made a decision unconsciously to give people everything that I always wanted and never got, believing that those things would have made me infinitely more successful. So going back to the story I was just telling you, my, my friends in college were going off to graduate schools and medical schools and law schools, and yeah, and they had the confidence to apply to Harvards and you know great schools. And I'm like, I'm not that guy. Like, you know, I, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not, no one's gonna want me. These are the this is my belief systems. But I had the same credentials they had. In many respects, I, you know, I worked myself through college in ways that none of them had. They all had a very, you know, silver spoon kind of experience. Parents were putting them up in dorms and paying for it. I didn't have any of that. So I should have been on par with them, but I didn't psychologically feel that way. So I made this assessment that, 
man, my life could have been so much better if I had had all of that. And so what I did was I gave it to the people who work for me universally. All you had to do, the, the ticket you needed was you worked for me. And I was going to care about you, support you, make you feel safe, appreciate you, develop you, make sure that you knew that I wanted you on my team, that you were valued, that you didn't go home on a Friday night wondering if you were in bad stead with your boss, all the things that relate to. But the interesting thing was I did all that and then I kept getting all these massive promotions and I just assumed that's how everybody leads. And I never looked under the hood to figure out what I was doing. It was all instinctive, but it was working. So you just keep doing it. I was 43 years old and this woman who had worked for me for 20 years out of the blue came in my office one day and, she, and just like I'm going to say it to you, she goes, you know, you manage people very differently compared to everybody else, don't you? And I was like, what? Like, what do you like? You know, it was a stunning kind of a observation. But I had sort of like this, this trickle of like, the insight was beginning to form in my own mind. And I said, what do you mean? And so she started to give me an illustration of how I manage people compared to everyone around me. And at 43, I realized, oh, my God, I have been managing people in direct response to my upbringing never knew it, never understood it. I did it in, in, instinctively, but man, oh man, look at the impact. People scaled mountains for me. I was going to say that you, you, by, by operating and managing people in a very heartfelt, considered and kind way, did you then find that um, you got back from them what you hadn't had in your early years? That's a really insightful question because what I realized was there were there were two things operating there. A really wonderful question. The first one was, you know, I'm 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 taking people under my wing and I am seeing them grow and develop and accomplish things that they themselves didn't believe that they could do, right? So there's something massively fulfilling. By the way, you know, extrapolating from that, I believe that if you can't get joy in seeing other people thrive and succeed and win and grow, then you shouldn't be managing people. It's that binary. But for me, it was like thrilling, right? Because it, on a, without knowing what the formula was going on inside this unconscious formula, what I did know was that I was influencing their success. And that was hugely successful for me because it validated the underlying you know, the theory that if I had had these things, I could have been infinitely more confident, successful, and so forth. But the, the real meat of your question is that upon reflection, and really, you know, I never intended to write a book or be sitting here having a conversation with you. I thought I was going to be a senior executive my entire career. But what I realized in the, in the process of writing the book was that every time I saw somebody thrive, Every time I saw somebody who worked for me get a promotion, take on bigger responsibility, achieve something that they hadn't, that it healed me. It was like a drip, drip, drip of healing. So um, people have asked me, you know, how did you get through all that without being bitter, without being, you know, revengeful or without being hard on other people? Because people tend to do that. If you're abused, you will abuse. And I think it had to do with that. So it's a wonderful question because I think it just made me feel so good to see other people succeed because it was like it was like me being a part of their success. I, th I think it's it's quite surprising 
Mark, I, I certainly found in when you're somebody who who gives as you've been doing, you give give to people, and you you've been a, a you know sound like kind and wonderful boss and leader, and you give 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 because you want to help others, and you know, my my purpose is about helping others realize their true potential and, and contributing to a better world that way, and for many years I gave and I didn't really accept a lot that came back in terms of the feedback, but now I live in a very warm glow <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm astonished when I bring people together about how they feel about me and what I've, what I've done. And uh, I've realized it's actually the most wonderful work you can do um, because actually you, you get, you give, but you get so much more back um, or at least equivalent. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. It's one of those things, though, that, I mean, I work with a lot of people who, peers of mine, who felt that the way to get the results that you need is to oppress the people who work for you. You manage them with fear. You manage them with intimidation. You're always rattling their cages. Where are you on this? When are you going to get this? You said you were going to do this and you haven't done this and keep people under this constant you know, marination of toxic energy is the way I look at it, right? Toxic chemicals going through people's bodies. And their belief was that I can get you to perform better by keeping you under some element of fear. Yeah. And they didn't really... I can't imagine that they ever thought about like, what's my legacy going to be in the minds and hearts of people like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, are people going to look back and go, I'm really glad I worked for that guy. Or, I'm, or are they going to say, I'm really glad that I'm not working for that guy. Yeah. And some people just don't care. So, so this goes back to something that you know, I sort of said parenthetically a moment ago. It's like we're choosing the wrong people for leadership roles. We're choosing people for, in many cases, we're choosing people who are intellectually smart, did really well in school. But what they lack is the ability to relate to other people and not just to relate to other people, but to specifically see that their role is to help advance the success of other people. That's their job. But we hire people here and they find themselves competing with the very people that they're supposed to be advocating for. So, you know, my analogy is in America, you know, we play basketball, but let's just say it's football where, you know, where you are, right? So I'm the coach of the football team. And so I'm, I'm developing all the players and I'm getting them prepared for the game and we're down one goal and there's like, you know, four minutes left in the game. And I call the captain over and I go, you're out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish this game here. I'm stepping in and, you know, I'm going to take over here and see if I can score the goal. That's not what a coach does. Like, that's not what their job is. Your job is to prepare them so that when they're on the field, that they can score the winning goal. You're not supposed to step in, but we have managers who will take all the glory, who will take other people's ideas, or they simply just don't advocate for other people out of fear that they're going to take their jobs or get more recognition or whatever. And whatever the fantasy is, the point is, is that what we need are people who have a demonstrated history. And I mean demonstrated, like where they can tell the stories of taking somebody that worked for them and helping them become more.
Like, so, you know, the question I've asked in interviews is, hey, Chris, have, have you ever in your career, have you ever helped anybody who worked for you to get a promotion or to take on greater responsibility? And then, you know, we'll take the, we'll, we'll change the name now to James. And James is your candidate, job candidate for a manager. And he goes, oh, of course, you know, all the time, Chris, all the time, you know? And so you say, well, James, that's great. Can you tell us, give me some of the specifics. Start by telling me the names of the people, when, why they were working for you, what was the job, and tell me specifically what you did to help them, to help them get to that new role. I'm really interested in hearing the story. Uh, well, um, you know, well, I, I, um, they don't have a story because they're not thinking of other people. They're not seeing themselves from the mindset of a coach. They're seeing themselves as this team is going to help me achieve the goals that I need to get my next promotion or my next raise or my pat on the back from the boss. Like they're a tool and we just need to completely obliterate that mentality if we want people to succeed and be happy in the workplace. I completely agree. I always remember a client saying to me, lovely man, one-to-one. -one, and he said to me, Chris, what do you love about your work? I said, it's people. He said, ah, those things that you use when you need them and you get rid of them when you don't. Right, exactly. I mean, that, right? I mean, and that just rolled off his tongue. So it wasn't the first time he thought of it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so is this, is this why you wrote Lead from the Heart? So here's the rest of the journey. So first of all, the, the, it's beautiful because the way you've asked the questions is actually anchors on the beginning of the journey of how I got to where I got to. So um, I went on to have a 25-year career in financial services, which tends to have a dog-eat-dog -dog reputation, you know, very, very competitive, money-focused, that kind of a thing. And in fact, the last job that I had, I was managing a couple thousand stockbrokers, you know, investment representatives, people who only got paid if they sold something. And so my first year... You know, a lot of people were cynical. That guy is not going to be able to manage those kinds of people. We had record revenue, record profit, and I was named leader of the year in my first year in the job and had no background in it whatsoever. To this day, I've never sold the stock or a bond or any financial instrument. Um, but what happened was the organization that I was working for was one of the largest banks, financial institutions in the United States, and it got sold. And so when it got sold, the organization that bought it, they were just ruthless. I mean, just the, the culture was so antithetical to what I was already about at this point in my career that I couldn't stay. So I stayed for six months and I left and I came back and I told my wife um, that I wanted to write a book. And sadly, she on the day that I left my organization, her sister died of cancer. And 10 days later, another sister died of cancer. And so I'm going in and saying, I'm thinking about writing a book and not going back to work. And I thought she was just gonna tell me, are you crazy? But she said, this is what you're supposed to do, so go do it. Her dad died 90 days later and my wife went into this depression, but in the midst of her depression, which she's completely recovered from now, she urged me over and over, don't give this up. This is something you need to do. So what I wanted to do, Chris, was specifically to write a book that 
you know, from the moment that that woman said to me, you manage people very differently, I started experimenting and trying to refine what I was doing. How can I make it even better? Not with the intention of writing a book, but of intention of just being a better leader, which all helped me. But when I decided to write the book, it was really going to be, you have the book in front of you, the second half of the book, which are these practices. And so if you do these things, my belief was, if you do these four practices in aggregate, you'll be an infinitely better manager. That was the thesis. But to pin it down in the journey of writing the book, I, I found that like I needed to explain why it worked. And the com confirmation was that I realized like what I was doing with people all along was affecting them in their hearts. And I thought, could that, is that a thing? Like, is that real? So I reached out to world-class cardiologist and I met with her and told her my thesis that I think I was affecting hearts in people and that's why they scaled mountains for me. And I know we we're going to take a break here, but what I'll tell you is she confirmed to me that medical science had always believed that the heart was just a pump. And now we believe that it actually has a huge impact on human choice, human behavior, um, much more than we've ever imagined. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk. Um, we'll talk about the sort of science behind that a little bit after the break, if we can. And uh, we'll also chat about some of these four practices, which I think are really, really important. But do you think uh, we've got three minutes to a commercial break right now? But do you think? Are you feeling uh, having written the book? It's been out there. It's on a second version now. Are you Are you feeling encouraged by what you see in the workplace, or are you feeling disillusioned right now? Um, it's a it's a roller coaster for me, to be honest with you, you know, um, so the word heart is a is a is electrically charged for a lot of people. So in business, when they hear we hear the word heart, we automatically assume that whoever is saying leadership and heart together must not understand business like they've never been in the real world or he must be a spiritualist or a religious nut, whatever the fantasy is. That's what people have assumed. The reason heart is in the title is because there is science that shows that the heart and mind are working together to influence our choices. And we intentionally, purposely marginalize the heart in leadership in the belief that we think it's wrong, when in fact, it's what influences people to do their best work. So I had to own that word. So what's interesting is 11 universities in America have been teaching my book since it came out originally in 2011. A new one just picked up another one a few weeks ago. So I've got all this encouragement from, from education that what I'm talking about has to be the future of leadership. But then you look at Google and they fire 12,000 people in one day on email. And they, you know, this was the company that we all heralded as one of the greatest places to work all around the world. You got to work at Google, it'd be like going to Harvard, going to Cambridge, one of these great experiences. And so this is a company that rejected all of their, you know, caring behavior to just rid themselves of 12,000 people at once. And that's just a bad sign to me. Like there had to have been a better, more caring, more thoughtful way. And then Elon Musk did the same thing. He bought Twitter and then he just eliminated 80% of the people's jobs. And he didn't even know what people did and he was firing them. There was no respect for what they had helped to contribute to build it. No thoughtfulness, no support. 
And I just, so I get discouraged by that, but you and I are still talking. So I'm still very much committed to this because I, I absolutely believe it's truth. Yeah. And I think that, I think um, there'll be, there'll be good disciples out there as well. It's just, it's also the good disciples, the media aren't quite so interested in, are they? They, they're interested. No, we, we, I mean, we, we, as a species right now, just seem to thrive in the most, grandiose negativity. I mean, if you look at the political people we're choosing, people who are polarizing, who don't bring people together, who don't try to, you know, find tolerance for people's differences, we, I don't know why we're not rejecting this more seriously. You know, it doesn't help us as a society anywhere to have people, you know, X against Y, black against white, race against race, you know, religion against religion. It just simply doesn't make any sense from a success standpoint, from a well-being standpoint. And yet, you know, we're, we lean into one television channel over another to have our own views parroted. It's just reinforced, reinforced. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Now, I think um, you know, we're, we're about to go into commercial break now, but uh, listening to this, you know, if you, you listen to the show right now is you know think think about this and think about actually how can you be you know a positive disciple for this kind of kind of work you know it, it is important to connect people together and bring people together rather than divide them and there are plenty of people out there dividing so you know i think the good people need to stick together and we need to um we need to ensure that um our, our voices are heard and our behaviors are heard so you need know, the best thing you can do is when you get out there into the workplace is is also look to lead from the heart, look to lead from kindness. You can see and heard how successful Mark was by doing it. It is possible uh, to to be successful and be a very nice and kind person. And then, you know, one day, um, one of uh, somebody I knew recently had a thousand people at her funeral. Um, it may make the decision between whether you have a thousand or a, or a few hundred or, or five or six people turning up at yours at the end of the day, uh, because, um, uh, at the end of the day, that's really what uh, what matters, how you leave people feeling when you're gone, I think. So we're going to go to commercial break now. Lots to talk about after the break. I want to hear about the science around the heart. And I want to talk about the four practice of leading from the heart. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. 
I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayitskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hello this is chris cooper i'm with mark crowley and we're talking about leading from the heart and um, mark um i think we need to i think we need to sort of just make something clear uh, following the conversation before the break, and and I think I you know I, I probably took us into this place of you know kindness and being a nice person, etc. And I'm just inter interested to explore for a moment. You know, when you're being leading people in a very engaging way, in a heartfelt way, um, is there, is there other situations when people take advantage of that? You know, how firm should we be? You know, how high should we set the bar? Talk to us about that, please. I'm, re I'm really glad you actually asked that question because the fantasy that a lot of people have. So again, the word heart is a electrically charged word for a lot of people. And so much so that when they hear it in the context of leadership, they just dismiss it. There's no looking under the hood to see like, is there something to this? Like they they just, it's like, that's so stupid. I'm not even going to listen to you. That's how, that's how we react to this. Um, and so when you mentioned earlier, you know, being kind to people and, you know, and, and thinking about your legacy as a leader, for example, which unfortunately a lot of people don't care, you know, I'm going to be dead. So I don't care who's there and I, I don't care what they say about me. There are plenty of managers that are like that. But what I, what I found was and first of all, let me make sure that everybody understands that I'm not talking about all heart. So it's got to be a balance between mind and heart. 
we we have intelligence in our heads i'm pointing to my head and in our hearts i'm pointing there too and we need to use them both and in leadership and business we're taught to we're like insisted upon only using our brain and marginalizing our emotions and our feelings and guess what we now know scientifically that 95% of human behavior up to 95% is driven by feelings and emotions so there's something going on inside of us that's influencing our brains to make the choices that we're making even if you know somebody listening to this goes not me i'm the most rational guy i have my excel spreadsheets and i only use data they're rationalizing the feelings and emotions that are going on inside of them but what i realized was when i'm caring for people in the way that i describe in the book and i'm supporting them and coaching them teaching them everything that i know making them feel safe making them feel assured that i hired you i'm really glad that i hired you i'm glad you're part of this team i'm grateful for everything that you contribute when you're making people feel that way when you are advocating for their career growth and making sure that they feel appreciated you are actually giving them the experience of um, i'll use this you know this term marinating in positive emotions which we now know optimizes human performance we need positive emotions in order to experience that. So what I discovered was when people are feeling that great and feeling that supported and feeling that self-confident, I've elevated their potential in ways that most managers couldn't possibly do. So if you were to ask, you know, 20 people who used to work for me, hey, you work for Mark Crowley. What's a one word you would use to describe him? Well, you would think it would automatically be heart, right? Because I'm the heart guy. But what they would say to you, I'm almost certain they would say, oh, he's the most demanding manager I ever worked for. Mm. And this is the piece that most people miss is that, well, how could you be demanding and kind? Or how could you be demanding and caring? It's the caring and the kindness and the support and safety and all the things that I just described that give you permission to be demanding. If you are putting people in fear and never thanking people and never making pe people feel like they're appreciated or what they do matters, and then you go to them and you say, hey, we need to do more than what we're doing right now. We need to set a higher bar. They're going to say, for what? Like, why would I do that for you? I'm not going to support you in that. You're lucky to get what you're getting. That's human nature. But when you are just naturally, instinctively helping people or intentionally helping people the way that I've described, there's, um, there's a professor at Arizona State University. He wrote a profoundly important book called Influence. I absolutely encourage you and your audience to read it. His name is depending upon who pronounces it, Robert Caldini or Robert Cialdini. And in it, he describes that going back to like prehistoric times, if I had a piece of meat and you didn't have one, I would give you that piece of meat with the expectation that as soon as you had meat, you would repay me. And he said, that is the seed for our instinctive need to reciprocate. So I'll give you an example. I knock on your door, I live next door to you, and I come by and I go, hi, Chris, my wife just made these beautiful cookies. I know they're your favorite. And we couldn't eat them all. So I said, well, I'm gonna bring Chris a tray. So here's your tray of cookies. So he uses an example like this. 
And he says, so ask yourself, what would Chris be feeling in that moment? Everybody says, oh, Chris is so grateful. He's so thankful. That's not what Caldini says. Caldini says, oh, my God, like, what can I do for you? You want a, you want a glass of wine? You want a beer? You want, you know, can you stay for dinner? It's this goes back to the prehistoric need to reciprocate. And so when people feel that you are caring about them, they will reciprocate by performing at levels you can't even imagine. I, I love that. Just quickly, if it's possible, there's a lot of science, as you mentioned, has gone into this. You spoke to cardio surgeons um, within your research. You know, is there a key point or two about the heart that really resonated with you? Are we actually changing that dynamic of the heart? Are we, um, or is it this uh, what you described as a marinating our emotions, which uh, heart-centered emotions, which... Well, so, so there's really two things that science is discovering. One is what I just mentioned, that feelings and emotions drive human behavior up to 95% of the time. And we know this from top academics. There have been several books written like in the last two years that have proved this. But the other component of this, and the reason the book is called Lead from the Heart, not Killer Engagement, or you know, something that takes the word heart so I don't have the charge, is because we've always believed that all of our cognitive ability occurred in our, in our brains and that our hearts were just a pump. So yeah. when I went to meet with, her name is Dr. Mimi Ganeri, and she graduated top of her medical school in, in New York uh, at a New York university, very intelligent person, author of a couple books. And so I laid down my thesis. I said, you know, I've been thinking about the effect that I had on people managing them. And I just instinctively realized that, like, I think I was affecting them so deeply that that's what made them perform the way they did. And so she invited me to go see her. And she happened, this is, you know, one of the one of the wonderful synchronicities. She happens to be in my own town. So I went to meet with her and she didn't even get out of her chair. She just, I mean, literally she's sitting in the chair and I walk in and she goes, Mr. Crowley, you figured out something that we in medicine are just figuring out ourselves. And I had tears coming down my eyes because it was like, I knew whatever she was going to tell me was going to confirm my entire life existence. Right. And what she said was that when she went to medical school, they started working on cadavers and they started working on the heart and all the students got squeamish and didn't want to do it. And the doctor said, hey, you know, don't get caught up on this. It's just a car part. It's like a carburetor. This is a heart is just a pump. Don't worry about that. There's no humanity, no spirit, nothing. And so she said, you know, years later, when I'm now a cardio surgeon and I'm having patients come in, I'm asking about their lives. And she started to find out that they were going through divorces. They had financial problems. They were they they drank. They had something going on. So their biography was driving their biology. And she said, if that's the case, it can't be a pump. A carburetor doesn't respond to the world around it. And so she introduced me to an organization called the Institute of Heart Math, which for the last 30 years has been studying the intelligence of the heart. And what they have found is that the heart and mind are continually communicating with each other 24 seven every day, no, no lapse with the heart sending more communication to the mind. And so the conclusion of it is that we can't disregard the heart in human nature. 
And in fact, if we focus on the heart and human nature, we're going to affect people in the ways that we've always wanted to affect people, to get them to perform at the levels and to make commitments to the organization and to support us. All the great things of leadership happen when you focus on the heart. Well, let's let's move on a little bit because I'm I'm mindful of time. We've only got probably 10 minutes left of conversation before I've got to wrap up. And so you talk about four practices of leading from the heart. Could you maybe overview those for us? And okay, so so the, so there are there's more to it than these four, but these are the four core practices. And the intention is you have to do them all. What, if you do any one of them, you're going to elevate your performance as a manager. But if you do all of them, you're going to transcend who you've become as a manager up till now. So the first one is called hire people with heart. And so interestingly, you know, you mentioned your son. So he goes to work at a golf course and he hasn't been there very long. It's a beautiful day. And he decides to call in sick. My belief is if he had really loved working at a golf course, he would never have thought about quitting the job before a sunny day. It would be, no, this is like where I want to be. I want to be around golf courses. I want to be around golfers. I want to be around the whole experience. So the, the intention here is, and just to be precise, is that we hire people often to fill positions without really thinking about whether or not they have it in their hearts to do the very work that we want them to do. And so, no pun intended, but when we hire that way, people will perform half-heartedly because they don't have it in them to commit fully. So the book goes into a lot of detail about how to interview and how to select people so that you are making sure that people are really good at doing the job that you want them to do and that it makes their heart sing, like they're excited about doing that job. And when you think about asphalt on the street and people rolling on those tractors in hot days, you know, there are people that are willing to do that to get fulfillment out of that. So we should never think, oh, no one's gonna wanna do this job. So the next one is, is to connect on a personal level. And when I wrote this originally, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna get so much pushback on this because we've actually made it a taboo to connect with people personally. But, you know, we think that if you get connected to people and you get to know their story, that they're going to somehow going to take advantage of you and abuse you. And it's just the opposite. And I'm not talking about having them over for Sunday dinner or, you know, taking them out for a beer. I'm, I'm saying meet with them regularly, find out what's going on in their life to the extent that they want to share. And like if they've got an elderly parent or they've got a child that's going to kindergarten, they want to take them to school. Maybe you can make an accommodation so that they could drive them to school or maybe you can make an accommodation so they can get home home to take care of their elderly parent. Not saying don't do your job or I'm, you know, let you skate because you have a personal issue. It's making some accommodations and say, Chris, I'm managing you for Chris's needs. You tell me what you need and I'm going to support you. And then I'll manage other people differently. And what happens is, is that you're making people feel like you care about them personally as a human being. And this is one of the hugest, hugest gaps in leadership today. Most people will tell you, my boss doesn't care about me personally. And if anything happened to me, they wouldn't really care. So once you've done that, then the next one is to maximize human potential or, or empower the heart is what I call it. And 
what I what I have found is, you know, I used to take teams over and I'd sit down with the manager who was leaving and I'd say, well, tell me about your team. And they go, well, you know, Chris, he's, you know, he's he's done. He's not going any further. He can't contribute in a higher level. And this person's lazy and this person, you know, on and on and on I, and over and over. And so I, it just used to motivate me to see what I could do with people who were, he was writing, they were writing off. And what I found is, is that people have infinitely more potential than we give them credit for. They have all kinds of talents. And so I believe you have to teach them to master the fundamentals so that they can be excellent in their job and coach them and develop them, but also to coach them to win. So you want to help people in all dimensions of their life. A lot of times in, in business, we think, well, we're only going to teach them how to get better at our job. When if you can influence them and teach them something that might help them be a better person, happier in their lives, maybe more financially secure, whatever, you're adding dimensions to people that ultimately influence their success in your job. And then the final one is perhaps the most important. And it's called inspire the heart, which means to value and honor achievements. And if you go up to a manager and you say, hey, is recognition important to your success as a manager? They're going to go, of course it is. Like, duh, like every manager in the world knows you have to recognize and appreciate your people. But then if you go to those same people's, same managers, employees and say, how often do you get recognized? How often are you appreciated? How often does your manager say, you know, I really appreciate you and what you're doing here? And they go, well, almost never. So there's this gap. And I think part of it, the way that I explain it is that I think managers think that the more I appreciate you, the more likely you're going to come back at me and go, well, you know, you just said thank you for three different things here. So I, I deserve a raise, you know, or, you know, a bonus or, you know, a gift. I mean, you got to do something for me, man. You're thanking me. So that's not the way it works. The way it works is that people are so grateful to you for acknowledging them that they actually want to give you more. But it's it's managerial malpractice, Chris, to not thank people. And you know, one last example I'll give you. If you have 30 people who work for you and 27 of them meet or exceed the expectations that you had for them for a previous month, let's just say it's a sales goal. A lot of managers will say, well, we don't have time to thank all 27. So let's just recognize the top three. Yeah. Well, You've just destroyed 24 manager, 24 people's self, self-esteem and motivation to excel next month because it's like, why should I? If you're not going to thank me, I did what you asked me to do. So that's the importance of recognition. You get resentment, don't you? It's uh, all right for them. You know, the <laughs> the golden golden boys and girls, you know, you, it, it breeds that. Uh, that it does. Kind of, it does. Yeah. Well, I think... Um, I think those points are, you know, all, all hugely, um, hugely helpful. There's a lovely blueprint there for people in, in terms of developing their connection with people. I like that. Hire people with, with heart, connect on a personal level, empower the heart and inspire the heart. Um, I just wish that uh, every lead could, uh, could really follow this, follow this blueprint. Um, what have you learned? To, just got just got a, about three minutes now. So, in terms of your business now, you know who who do you who do you help right now, and uh, also what have you learned about running a business from the heart? 
You know, um, so I, I'll answer your second question first. I'm the same person in all dimensions of my life. So, you know, so I, I don't run my business any differently than I ran the teams that I've managed. And so I am who I am. And I hope that that speaks for itself. The, as far as, you know, who I'm influencing, I was just asked to, there's a, a 200, 199 year old bank in Prague, in the Czech Republic. And they have asked me to come to not just speak, but to spend several days helping them create a new culture for their 200th anniversary. Right. So when I, when I look at that, I think, okay, so this isn't an American thesis. This isn't a North American thesis. This isn't a Western Hemisphere thesis. This is a human thesis. So what I'm talking about is this is leadership that applies to every human being on the planet. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with, with, with you know, sex. It doesn't have to do with any of life experience. It's human. We're affecting the hearts and people. And when we do that, we, we, we influence people in the most transcendent way. And so I'm really the Pied Piper for this. I mean, I'm, I know that going back to my whole childhood, I would not be here if I hadn't had the abuse of father and the death of the mother and the separation from the family and being kicked out. All of that influenced me to see leadership in a very different perspective. And so my goal is just to continue to share this until we've actually convinced people all over the world that this is the way they need to manage. Mark, you're doing tremendously noble, valuable, uh, heartfelt work, which uh, I, you know, I applaud you. Uh, this is uh, so important and so important right now in this point in history. And uh, you know, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And uh, I just wondered, do you have one just point, final message you'd like to leave us with? Um Barbara Fredrickson, who's a professor, uh, a positive psychology professor and a guru at the University of North Carolina, told me something that completely changed my life. So my premise is positive emotions influence people. We thrive on them. We need them as human beings. But what she told me was we have discovered, she has discovered that all positive emotions, when you think of attention or interest or love or appreciation, awe, all of those positive emotions boil down to one, which is love. Yeah. And so we don't need to say this in work, but at the end of my podcast and every time I end my podcast, I say, love your people. Because what I'm talking about translates to love and it's the most it's the highest power on the universe. It's the highest power on the planet. And when that's what people need. It's really what people need. It's not what we think about in leadership traditionally. But if you can make people feel loved without saying, I love you, you've done a great job. It's not about hugging. It's just about showing people that they value, they matter. All of that translates to love. Mark, thank you. I've loved talking to you today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Lovely message there, an important message. Love is actually at the core of everything. To find out more about Mark C. Crowley, you can go to markccrowley.com. That's markccrowley.com. Uh, do uh, get his book. I've just ordered my copy and just it's just arrived, uh, Lead from the Heart. Uh, I'm really excited about reading that on my, my holiday coming up uh, in a week or two. And next week's show, we have Scott Jeffrey Miller, 
Um, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, his uh, his latest book. We're going to be talking about mentoring and his ultimate guide to mentoring. Uh, Scott is a very senior guy within the Franklin Covey organization. Um, so I'm very excited about talking to Scott next week. And once again, a huge thank you to Mark C. Crowley. You know, everybody, go away, lead from the heart. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.